You're listening to a download from the outdoorstation.co.uk. Number five, one, six. Hello and welcome back to the Outdoor Station and another fascinating conversation. This time with Camille Matthias, who is about to set off on the 2,650-mile Pacific Crest Trail. Looking back into the 15-year Outdoor Station library, I can see we've discussed the PCT in detail probably about half a dozen times with guests. However, this was way back in 2006 and we've only given it cursory notice since. So this is a great opportunity to freshen up the information and look at tackling the PCT from the perspective of someone in the UK who is hitting the trail as light as possible with everything she's learned from her research on the internet, from talking to others and her three years hiking experience. Yes, Camille, who describes herself as a plus-size hiker, talks quite openly about the gradual building up of her experience, her self-confidence and her abilities over those three years of hitting various UK trails and what she's learned along the way. She also shares how she's approached the financial and time aspect of preparing for this challenge and what sacrifices she's had to make to make this long-distance hiking dream come true. Plus, we dip into her 35-litre pack, yes, 35-litre pack, to see what she's taking with her on her journey. But first, how did Camille, originally from the Pyrenees, find herself living in God's country in Scotland? Of course, there's more information, links and images over on the outdoorstation.co.uk website, or you can check out more information on Camille's website herself, aptly named camhikesthepct.home.blog. Yeah, so I've been in Scotland now for 13 years. I first came here right after high school. I was looking for somewhere to go, um, really pushed by my stepmom, but I was also quite keen to get out after high school and discover another country. So there was this person in our extended family that had a house here in Edinburgh. And coupled with that, the fact that Edinburgh had loads of festivals and I was really into arts and culture. So we decided I would go for two months, for the months of July and August, experience the festivals. And, you know, two months became a year. I wanted to stay for a year to learn English. And then during that year, I found somewhere at uni, you know, a course at uni that I wanted to join. So I did four years at uni. And within those four years, I started working in the cultural sector. And since then, you know, I've graduated and kept on working within that sector. So, yeah, it's been 13 years now. And and your stepmother hasn't seen you since? Well, once a year, I make sure I fulfill my my duties. (laughs) Your obligations. (laughs) Exactly. So you're working for the Edinburgh Festival now, I understand. That must be a fun job. 
yeah, so we have 11 festivals in the city and I work for the sort of umbrella organization that works with all of them. Um, and I look after international projects. So I love it. It enables me to travel and meet with people from all over the world and, you know, be a sort of ambassador for our festival city. And yeah, I, you know, I've been doing this ever since in the, as part of different organizations, but I've been doing this ever since I graduated and I love it. Now, you grew up in the Pyrenees, which is obviously a well-known area for outdoor activities and outdoor life. Did you have much of a life there before you came to Scotland? Yeah, so I was in the Pyrenees from birth up until the age of 12 when my parents divorced and then I moved up to Bordeaux, so closer to the Atlantic coast. And, you know, we didn't have a huge amount of, you know, we didn't go hiking that often. I have, you know, the odd picture where I'm in, you know, a backpack and, and my dad is carrying me in the mountains. So that's that makes for a nice picture. But in reality, we didn't go out hiking that much. Um, when I grew a bit older, maybe around maybe around six to eight years old, I would go up to the mountains with um, my mom and my grandma. My grandma was always a keen hiker. Um, we wouldn't go very far or very high, but you know, I have memories of beautiful views and and particular particular smells and and sounds like the cowbells, and so that really stayed with me. But from the age of thirteen up until well, really two years ago, my relationship with hiking was pretty much well non-existent. So two years ago, you started hiking and taking advantage of the landscape and surroundings, obviously based in Edinburgh, which is, is wonderful. But the, the reason for this conversation and, and interview is really you stated that you're about to uh, attempt the PCT in America, which is obviously two and a half thousand plus miles. So there's quite a big jump in a couple of years. And I'd like to explore <laughs> the story with you, really, how you've, you've got to that stage and, and built yourself up to it, I guess. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. It seems it probably seems like a like a massive step to take. Um, so you know, I would go on the sort of odd weekend hike, maybe in the Pentlands, which are a regional park near Edinburgh. But it wasn't only it wasn't until um, April 2017 that I heard about the Pacific Crest Trail. Um, I was with my my boyfriend then in the Canary Islands, and we were hiking up this volcano in, on this little island just off the main coast. And he he told me he said, "Oh, do you, did you hear about this trail in the U.S. where you just go on for months at a time, you know, five six months, and you actually have to send yourself packages to, you know, sustain yourself and 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 have food and and you know be able to survive in the wild, and." you know, that was a sort of light bulb moment in my head. And I started thinking, wow, there is a continuous footpath somewhere in the world where you can just go from A to B, well, in this case, from Mexico to Canada, and you actually are completely self-supported and you have to, um, yeah, basically just use your own two feet to go from one place to the other over such a long distance. So that was that was a, a big moment. Uh, and then, you know, that same day from the, the Airbnb room, I started looking into it, looked at some websites, and I just couldn't believe it. And I thought, okay, well, I'm not going to be able to get somewhere like that anytime soon. In fact, I probably will never have a job that'll let me do this. Or 
the right gap in my career to be able to do this. So I thought, okay, let's let's think a bit closer to home. Are there some long distance trails in Scotland? Because I just love the concept of long distance hiking rather than a day hike, you know, and always aiming for a Monroe or you know, I'm I'm not sort of I call it summit obsessed. I'm not like that. So I very much you know, bought into the idea of uh, long distance hikes. And that's where I started, you know, going on walk highlands and, and looking at all those long distance paths in Scotland. And I was just amazed that they existed. And my very first one was in July of that same year. Um, I walked the, well, part of it, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a bit about that, uh, the West Island Way. So on the Isle of Butte, which is actually not that well known. Uh, so that sounds like an interesting route. I've not heard of that one before. So do tell me a little story about how you got on there. Yeah, so I, I just sort of gathered as much gear as I could, bought, um, you know, bought my first uh, pair of trail runners and, and got to Mountain Warehouse and bought some basic gear for, you know, quite a cheap price. Uh, and, you know, it was fairly light, but still heavy for my current standards. And, and then the two of us, was, was my boyfriend, went on to the Isle of Butte, took a ferry and started walking. So it's a path that I think it's about 50 kilometers. I'm sorry, you'll have to cope with my, with my um, kilometers because I'm from France, so <laughs> I don't do miles. Um, and I did, you know, it's kind of the classic story of, you know, you launch yourself into this and you do everything wrong the first time around. So we carried a lot, um, you know, we stayed in two different tents, um, camped right by the by the water, had loads of midges because it was July. And after the first night, so literally had done maybe 10 kilometers uh, the first day, um, I tore some ligaments in my ankle. So my ankle blew up the size of a massive potato and I had to do maybe, you know, 10, 15 kilometers to the, to the actual town on my, on my sore ankle. And we camped that night in the local park, not even anywhere wild by any, any extent of the imagination and then took the ferry the day after. So actually, I actually didn't really hike the West Island way, but that was my first sort of wild camping experience and my first hiking injury. Um, but it didn't, it didn't deter me from, from doing more after that. Which reminds me of my favorite saying at the moment is what do you get when you don't get what you want? experience yeah yeah totally absolutely and you know people made fun of me because i i came back to the office with with a stick and i was given a stick to walk with for a few weeks and or, or a few days rather and 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 they all just kind of thought well, what is this you know you launch yourself into this and and here you are with an injury maybe maybe you sh maybe it's not for you okay with that experience then and under your belt you went on to do the west highland way which presumably was a bit more successful yeah yeah, West Highland Way was great, but also brought in quite a lot of lessons. Uh, first night I um, slept, you know, it was in September in, in Drimmen, and my sleeping bag was completely inadapted to the temperatures. So I think it was maybe a 15 degrees uh, Celsius sleeping bag in September in the north of Scotland. So I had an awful night, the worst camping nights of ever, you know, to date. Um, and then after that, I decided to stay in hostel. So I actually didn't wild camp on the West Highland Way because after that night, I, I had to just find another solution. 
Um, and then after the West Highland Way, I did loads of other long distance trails in Scotland, you know, Great Glen Way, um, Speyside Way, Rob Roy Way, African Tail Way, you know, I can continue on naming them. So it sounds like you've got a lot of miles, sorry, kilometres under your belt now. The uh, The next question has to be as good as Mountain Warehouse is for getting people out there. And a lot of their equipment is, is getting very, very technical at the moment, which is which is good to see. You are now about to set off on the, the PCT, which is a world-renowned trail for lightweight backpackers, people that really have managed to strip their equipment down to a minimal list before they set off. So would you like to just go through all the sort of m- changes that you've made that are going to make this this trail much more manageable and enjoyable for you? Yeah. Um, I guess the first thing is that I focused on what, what you know what's commonly called the big three. So my backpack and my sleep system um, and yeah, my tent. Uh, so my backpack was a mountain warehouse one for actually a long time. And I changed that, you know, last year. Um, and actually I should mention that, yeah, when mountain warehouse was a great help, but actually to really get lightweight gear, I had to go over to the, well, not go over to the U S but really focus my research on, um, North American gear. Um, there's some amazing manufacturers there and sort of cottage, cottage gear makers. So, um, I, and also my, my backpack, I focused on a frameless pack. So, my backpack is a Go Summer Gear, um, and I'm actually in conversation with them. Probably gonna try the Kumo uh, Go Summer Gear, so that's 36 liters instead of the 40 liters I had on previous hikes uh, with the Gorilla Go Summer Gear. Uh, my tent is also Go Summer Gear. That's uh, the one, so a single single wall tent. Um, which has done has done performed quite well in Scotland. In fact, I was a bit concerned about weather and winds, but it's been fine. And my sleeping pad. I'm currently testing a couple of sleeping pads. I've been really happy with the Thermarest uh, Neo Air in terms of packability and how lightweight it is. But I find myself slipping to the sides quite often. I move a lot during the night and also I, I sleep on, on my tummy. So um, I'm thinking about, I've already purchased um, Thermarest's uh, Z-Lite and I think I probably will go for that for the PCT. And then the last thing within my sort of big three items, and that has that is the single most expensive piece of gear, I have, and that's my sleeping quilt. Um, So I have a quilt rather than a sleeping bag because um, of weight considerations, but also it's quite good if you move around because it's attached to your sleeping mat. And also, um, yeah, and so the the brand is Catabatic Gear, and they're based in Colorado. Um, The the bags are made from ethical um, feathers, and the the ratings are actually really accurate compared to many other uh, companies that uh, have inaccurate ratings, I find. That's a, that's a good list of fairly technical equipment. And I, the only thing that concerns me there is the Kumo is, as a 35-litre bag, is actually quite, I think, quite a small bag. So by the time you've got the equipment you've just mentioned in it, I'm not too sure you're going to have a vast amount of space left. So what else are you catering for as regards the clothes and, and the amount of day's food you're taking with you? Mm. 
Well, um, so in terms of food, you know, I think, you know, the food carries really vary on the PCT, but the high Sierras section is probably the one where I have to look out for longer food carries and really give some more thinking to what type of food I'll carry. Um, one thing that won't take very much space in my bag is um, my cook system because I'm actually going stoveless. So I'm just taking a spoon and a container um, to cold soak my food or just simply, you know, wraps and, you know, whatever, whatever other food I'll put in the wrap. Um, in terms of the clothes, um, I'm still working on the clothes that I'll actually be wearing. Um, I'm probably going to go for some something like cycling shorts and um, and a long sleeve top, um, like a shirt. And then I've also um, ordered recently a um, an insulated jacket. So I'm going for synthetic rather than down because of the humidity, particularly in Washington at the end of the trail. And I also want this jacket to be useful in Scotland. So I don't want to, you know, ruin it with, ruin the feathers with, um, with humidity. Um, you know, very, very few socks and underwear, you know, I'll be washing, uh, washing quite a lot of things on the trail. Um, and the rest, yeah, the rest is kept to a minimal, really, minimum, really. Oh, and also, I should mention the water, water, you know, water filtration and all of that, because one of the biggest challenges for me, I think, given that I'll have quite a small pack, is the longer water carries. So I think the 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 more I'll have to to carry at once will be six liters, which is quite a lot. So I have I have what I need to do that. Whether I'll be able to fit in the pack is something I need to work on um, from home before I go. Mm, that's exactly what I was thinking, actually. I know there's a section or two there that you have to carry a lot of water with you, or you're advised to anyway. And what about bear canister? I think you have to carry a bear canister at one stage, don't you? Yeah, in the Sierra, I'll have to carry a bear canister. So I'll probably fit that. Um, the, 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 all the Gossamer gear packs, uh, I'm, I know you're familiar with them, have the sort of the two adjustable straps at the top. So it'll just fit kind of outside the bag, but strapped with the top straps. Um, and I'm actually, this is something I want to mention in case anyone is wanting to hike this trail. I'm actually not buying the, the bear canister. I'm hiring it. So it's significantly ch cheaper. And, and since I'll be coming back to Scotland where, as far as I know, we don't have any bears, then I don't have to, you know, I don't have to make an extra expense and have yet another thing that I'll have to keep hold of. You're listening to theoutdoorstation.co.uk award-winning producers of podcasts to inform, inspire and entertain lovers of the great outdoors everywhere. Now, what about the usual problem that most people face when they go to do the PCT or any of the American trails um, when setting out from this country, of course, is uh, food products and sending food uh, abroad or to the, uh, at, uh, ahead of your, your trail? Because I know they won't accept meat-based products if you're non-veggie of course meat-based products in and and i'm also curious to what your diet's going to consist of if you're going stoveless yeah so i am i don't eat meat but i will probably eat fish like you know tuna that sort of thing um i'm not going to bring any food from the uk so i'll be i'll be buying all the food over in the u.s and there's a few types of strategies in terms of resupply you know food resupply 
I'm not planning on uh, sending myself boxes in advance all the way along. So what I'll be doing is I'll be doing I'll be sending myself boxes from the trail. Um, I don't want to go into a huge amount of planning. I want to be really stay really humble about how far I'll be able to get. So I'll just keep going, you know, keep sending boxes as I go along, as I and as I fi- uh, find out a bit more about my pace. Um, in terms of the type of food that I'll probably be eating, you know, things like couscous, rice, mashed potatoes, topped up with things like olive oil and cheese and different types of seasoning. Um, and then for breakfast and snacks, bars, um, maybe the luxury uh, fresh fruit and vegetable on on the day where I'll be leaving town. So things like avocados carried in Pringle cans so that they don't get completely mashed up and crisps um, and yeah that sort of thing I, I guess the, the staple thing will be things like couscous mashed potatoes rice uh, or even things like ramen and then adding stuff on top of it basically yeah from what I've uh, learned from speaking to people and blogs that I've read everybody starts with quite uh, nutritional aspirations but very soon they get down to having packets and packets of pop tarts and eating those continually as they as go along pure sugar and and getting a hit um I like the idea about the buying the products in a, a trailhead when you get to a, a town and sending it ahead of yourself that obviously you you can recognize what your own pace is going to be then which I think is quite a good idea um, but I do wonder if you've lived on that kind of diet for more than a few days and, and how it actually fits with you, sits with you. Mm. Yeah, so I've tried cold soaking for a few days and it worked all right. Um, it worked fine. I, I learned that, you know, couscous that's cold soaked on its own tastes really, really dry. So, you know, packing things like hummus or some some sort of moisture, basically, um, is good on top of it. I I also, I didn't cold soak, but I didn't have a stove either on the GR10 uh, back in the Pyrenees last September. So I did everything, just, you know, wraps and sort of different types of picnic stuff and fish, that sort of stuff. And it worked quite well. Um, so based on those 12 days, um, that's what I'm planning on doing on the PCT. Now, you've obviously done your research, and I'm sure read lots of blogs about people who've done this and used different ways of food and resupply. Um, I wonder, with your cold food idea, your cold soaking idea, is there a massive financial saving as a matter of interest? Um, I'm not too sure. I actually, I don't, maybe not. Um I guess the the fact that I won't have to worry about a gas, you know, the, the resupply on gas um, attracts me because I don't want to have to, you know, send myself cans of, um, you know, fuel when, um, when I'm going to somewhere remote. Um, but I, I, yeah, no, I haven't seen anything come up in research about the relationship between price and, and having a stove or not. 
And talking of price, this is obviously something you've had to calculate into your into your plans as well. There's obviously various things involved here, not only the actual doing the, the trip itself and what it may cost you, but obviously what you're leaving behind as regards running a, a house or a, a, a room or whatever it is you where you're living at the moment and uh, getting time off work. So let's just go back for a second. How have you ha- got time off work? Because I think that's probably the, the biggest challenge most people would face. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it it was, it's been a, it's been a sort of a very long thought process. And, and to be very honest with you, I think you don't commit to hiking the PCT unless you're absolutely passionate about it. So, um, I've, I've find myself thinking that perhaps if I hadn't had the time off from work, I probably would have gone anyway, because, you know, you sort of start obsessing over it for, for me for a couple of years. And, you know, it's sort of, you know, is that or nothing type of thing. But all of that being said, I, I've been incredibly lucky that, you know, once I got my permit and once I got my visa, um, you know, my 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 director, my boss was extremely open to the conversation. Um, so basically just uh, asked her to have a chat and floated the idea of going on a sabbatical for six months. Um, I, I work part-time half of the month and part-time and full-time the other half of the month. And inconveniently, this falls onto the busy months because of course our peak festival season in Edinburgh is, uh, is August and, and the rest of the summer. So, um, but all of that being said, the, the six months I've asked for, so mid-April to mid-October, are the perfect time for a freelancer or someone else to come and cover for me. Um, they are not sort of odd months to find cover. So, you know, she sort of appreciated that this would be a great personal development opportunity um, and also would give me time to reflect on, you know, you know, on myself, on my current situation. You know, I, I'm just sort of um, coming out of a... Of a, of a of a breakup after a very long-term relationship. And also, you know, in terms of my professional career, I've worked on for a different organization since I graduated, but always on the same project every year. So this would have been my 10th year working on the same project. And although I'm extremely passionate about it, um, I think I need a, you know, a summer to step back and kind of be away from the festivals and, and kind of maybe realize how much I, I love it to be then be back and be back uh, refreshed. Yeah, I certainly think that the whole experience will give you a fresh perspective on life generally, and it'll be interesting to see uh, see what develops as a result of it. But coming back to the, to the cost element, if you don't mm-hmm. mind, have you actually yeah. costed out sort of the various sections, how much the actual trip might cost you and any other additional cost for anybody else that's considering it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I set up set off with the aim back in January 2018 to save £10,000 pounds, um, you know, by the time I have to leave, um, this April. And so I managed to, to save up for that. Um, so I mean, so I've got 10,000 pounds saved up and there's different ways this will be broken down on the trail. I'm actually estimating it's, it's quite a large estimation, but that I'll be spending 1000 pounds per month. So £6,000 for the trail itself. And that includes uh, new gear. So things like new pairs of shoes and any gear repairs or, you know, changes, whatever. Um, 
but then the 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 rest of the money so the the other 4000 pounds um that very much goes towards you know keeping expenses back at home running so i'm i'm unsure right now as to whether i'll be subletting my flat that's something that i'm exploring um um, I feel a bit funny about sort of letting someone else into my space, but just because of the costs associated with it, I probably will have to do that. Um, and then I've also been, I mean, you know, you don't save 10,000 pounds, especially on a part-time uh, contract half of the year, just like that. It's taken a lot of um, a lot of strategizing around, you know, how to save and cutting down on, you know, subscriptions, you know, memberships and Less going out and, you know, being really careful about my savings, basically. And so as part of that £1,000 a month, does that include the permit and any insurances or is that an, on top of that? So the insurance is not part of the £6,000. Um, I'm, I'm hoping to cover this from the £4,000 left over. Sort of how much money were you talking about for insurance to do this then? We're talking about uh, just over £400. Okay, and that covers you for the whole six months. Yeah, yeah. And is that is that a specific insurance for the PCT, or is that one that you just picked up as a travel insurance? Yeah, it's it's the latter. So it's a company called World Nomads that's been used by loads of international hikers on the PCT and other trails. And just based on someone's experience from Scotland, actually, who was in on the PCT this year, um, she actually had some health issues and said that the, the the insurance company was amazing and were really was really helpful so that's what i'm planning to go with and how much was the permit is that very expensive no the permit is free um the permit is free and then you get an option to donate to the pacific Terrestrial association which i i did and i and i would encourage everyone to do that because you know i don't live in the u.s so i can't very easily give back to the trail um, so, so, you know, you can make a donation, but the, the permit is free. The other cost to bear in mind is the cost of the visa. As an international hiker, you've got to get um, what's called a B2 visa from the U.S. Embassy. And so, you know, that's $160. So what's that? Over £100. Um, and then I had to go to London. So, you know, the, the travel to London and, and, you know, one night accommodation or whatever. Maybe you can stay with friends. Um, so there was another thing also to bear in mind. Mm, OK. So in, in actual fact, really, then sort of permits and insurances all in for, well, let's say less than a thousand pounds and possibly really less than a thousand pounds for a lot of the equipment. Most most people would have, I think, some of the items that you've you've mentioned or something very similar you know so less than a thousand pounds really you can set off and it's just the actual living costs while you're on the, on the trail itself i guess yeah per month yeah one thousand pounds per month i think that's quite a generous estimate est- estimate but you know i'd rather be on, on on that side rather than have to get off the trail for financial reasons mm, I, I can imagine you living like a queen as you go along and, and top <laughs> top hotels We'll see, we'll see. Just to save way to use all the exotic products, that's the way to do it. Yeah. <laughs> I think a reward in a trail in a in a town every now and then is good to keep your motivation going for sure. Oh, and absolutely, then I yeah. also hear that your hunger grows and grows as, as the trail progresses. So I also need to make sure to um factor in the different restaurants. <laughs> 
I know you've done lots of research. I'm sure you've done lots of research. Have you actually spoken to anybody who's recently returned and, and they have they given you any tips or any any thoughts that, that you hadn't really considered? Yeah, I've talked to a few people. Um, so, you know, it was just pure, pure luck. But there's been a couple of people that have been here in Scotland, uh, visited Scotland, and that I've been able to spend a bit of time with. Um, so someone called Twinkle, um, Stephen Shattuck, he, he's hiked many trails in the US, including the PCT. So we spent a bit of time with him when he was here with his wife. And also... Um, someone called Peanut that's his trail name um, his name is Andrew Glenn and he's a very accomplished hiker you know he's just hiked this year from Mexico to well the, the basically the Continental Divide Trail and the Great Divide Trail which makes up for just this massive trail and, and he stayed with me when he was here in Edinburgh and we spoke at length about the PCT and, and I think in terms of advice um, a lot of the stuff that comes back is, you know, don't plan too much. Just let, you know, there's only so much you can plan. The rest will, will you'll have to figure out on the trail. Uh, your expectations are a certain type, but actually the, the trail will, will decide and, and you can fight whatever is thrown in your way mm. once you're there. Um, and also just uh, there's, you know, I... I I attached a lot of importance up until a certain time to my physical abilities and me doubting them. You know, as a plus size hiker, I've been often in doubting, you know, my abilities. But actually, a lot of what comes back is that the hardest aspect of a trail like this is the mental aspect. So I've been working on that as well. Exactly. Yes, exactly. I was just thinking of one of my previous interviews, which you may have listened to, where where she said exactly the same thing. It's people ask about the distances and the mileage and hows and the and the sort of day to day things, but actually the toughest part was was the mental part to to get up and keep going each day uh, and yeah. enjoying the ride. There is a couple of other questions I wanted to ask you. you. You sort of glossed over them, but I'm sure you've got it to hand. You mentioned changes of footwear. What footwear are you using? Are you using approach shoes or boots? And do, are you just going to see what you can find as you go along as you wear these things out? And also the other question was hiking poles, which I assume you must be using. Yeah. Yes. Hiking poles. Love them. I started working with hiking poles even since, you know, the West Island way and I'll never hike without them. Uh, whenever I forget them, I can't go very far. So yes, and I don't care if people judge you and think that it's only for old people. People need to get hiking poles in their, into their gear list. Um, in terms of the shoes, I use trail runners. So I started with uh, Salomon trail runners, which I was very happy with, but I found that they didn't dry fast enough for my liking and that meant that I developed some blisters you know on days after river crossings and things like that so now I'm using Ultra's Lone Peak 4.0 uh, which is not a very or original choice because most hikers on in the US on long trails use these and there's a reason for that so for now I'm happy with these and I think you know maybe later down the line I might need I might find that I need a bit more cushion so I might swap for another type of ultras but um, this is what I use and I also use this in Scotland I, I think that that's 
some people find it a bit odd or controversial, particularly, you know, uh, when it's raining or, or it's been snowing, but they've never failed me. And uh, there's a very good reason why I use non-waterproof shoes. Um, and I think, I, think, I think there needs to be a bit more open-mindedness about, um, you know, what's, what's great about trail runners. Well, absolutely. I'm yeah. You know, I'm in the same camp as you. I've I've not worn a waterproof shoe for a very long time, and I feel unsafe in boots these days. <laughs> uh, I must actually do a podcast and have a big argument with with uh, both sides of the fence as regards people who are pro pro uh, approach shoes and pro boots. It's another story entirely. Another <laughs> interview entirely. Are you taking any any technical gear, any social media gear, cameras, phones, um, solar chargers, MP3 players, that type of thing that sort of fill the pack up with odd bits and bobs and cables? Mm and leads uh the short answer is no it's very very simple i'm just going to take my phone and take pictures with that and if i want to film a bit then i'll be filming with my phone as well um so yeah my phone is is the main thing and i'll be recharging it with um a portable battery um, not a solo charger because again i i try to buy my gear with the long term in mind and, and I don't think that in Scotland they would work so well. So um I'm going for for yeah for a battery and I'm gonna get one well I've got one that's an uh anchor one and it's twenty thousand whatever the name of the unit is. Milliamp hours. That, that, thank you. <laughs> Which is 20,000 20, is quite a, quite a juicy battery, so that should keep you going for a bit. And what about backing up your photographs or videos? Because obviously over a six-month period, you could easily fill a, a, a average-sized phone. Are you able yeah. to download that or put it on the cloud or do something with it? Yeah, I've got a, um, an iCloud membership, so usually my phones just get uploaded. My my photos get uploaded automatically onto it. So, you know, I imagine I won't run out of space in, in between towns. So whenever I'm in town and I pick up Wi-Fi, then the photos can just upload as, as I go. Well, fantastic. It sounds like you've got everything completely sorted and full of enthusiasm <laughs> and joy, which uh, which is good. And, and now you've got quite a few trails under your belt. You're obviously uh, settled into, into this. And when you look back now at your first journey when you did your West Isle Way, what mm. advice would you have given yourself? What advice? Uh, that's an interesting question. Um, I think it's more to do with... It's less to do with practical advice and more to do with reassuring myself about the perception I have about my own abilities. Um, I think, yeah, I think that, you know, I have to trust myself more. I certainly do do that more now and I don't compare myself to others as much. I still do, you know, like, like all of us, but I try to sort of you know stop you know not not look too much at um the kilometers or the elevation gain and just kind of keep on putting one one foot in front of the other and eventually you know i get to where i need to get <laughs> i also i've um you know over the past couple of years i also you know i would film a lot and upload stuff on youtube and you know document a lot and in in recent months and weeks I've tried to rein that in a little and, and film a bit less and and try to just uh, be 
within the hike a bit more and care a bit less about sharing as much as I used to. So that's something I'll be I'll be continuing on the PCT. So I think originally when I imagined the, the hike, it was very much going to be, you know, something that would then generate loads of episodes and, and that, that sort of thing. But um, I, I'm not planning on doing that so much anymore. So I'll probably do, um, you know, maybe five episodes, one for each section of the trail, the big five sections. Um, and and keep it to that really because I, I really want to I think it's a once in a lifetime experience and I really want to really want to enjoy it. Well, I certainly agree with you there. It's, it, I, I would love to do the PCT. I think it's uh, I'm very envious of you at the moment. And I just wonder if you'd promise me one thing. <laughs> yeah. Would what you tell me all about it when you come back and share your story? Yeah, with pleasure. That, that'd be my pleasure. Absolutely. Lots of lessons to share. I'm sure. It sounds to me that Cam has prepared herself really well for this adventure and I look forward to talking with her again either during or after to see how her choices of gear, food and clothing have all worked out. My thanks to her for bringing us up to date with all the current information and some of the costs involved. I'm also hoping to chat with another guest soon who is also setting off this year on the PCT, so maybe their paths will cross during those 2,650 miles. Who knows? We'll find out later, I'm sure. I do hope this podcast has earned the privilege of your time. Until next time, folks, why not buy a tent, camp in the woods, and keep away from the coronavirus? And bye for now. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To hear or see more from our extensive free library, please visit theoutdoorsstation.co.uk.